Welcome into the Invest in You podcast presented by On3 Sports, the place for interviews and content related to sports, business, and all things NIL. I am your host and president of NILU, Grant Ferking, and we are delighted today to be joined by someone who is virtually owning the college football space on social media right now and one of the hottest voices in college football, the Mr. Josh Pate. Josh, thanks for joining us today, man. I am just happy to have someone call my voice hot. That means a lot because my mom's <laughs> never said that. No girlfriend's ever said that. So I, um, I appreciate the fact that you have bestowed that upon yourself to, to take the well, man. I'm, I'm delighted that you would, that you would give me that honor. So what did you, you know, you are, uh, you know, I just said it, the, the face of college football on social media right now, for those who don't know you or aren't familiar with you, why don't you just share your story? Um, you know, you talk a lot about talent and passion, how you kind of got your passion for college football and, and, and what got you to where you are today. I'm, well, I'm glad you put the two together because I think the talent's really the overrated part of it in a lot of different avenues of life, this one included. You got to have a certain amount of God-given ability, but the passion, that's the part that is, is really, you can't get by without it. I was down in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, about 11, 12 years ago, I was working in a fabric warehouse. I had not completed college, just really kind of directionless. And um, if you would have asked me, who are you? Like, I wouldn't have been able to answer that question. Just basic identity-based question. Couldn't have really answered it. So surely I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I did not have a lot of purpose in life. I was one of those tweeners. I didn't grow up poor. Therefore, I wasn't backed into a corner by life. But I also... I didn't grow up wealthy, so I didn't start on third base and have a lot of advantages. I think there is a mass swath of our society that fits that description, by the way. So I, uh, over the course of a few years and you know, some, some events happening in my life, kind of halfway got my act together. I knew I wanted to do this. I knew I, one of the few things I knew I loved was college football. Grew up loving it. I loved listening to people talk about it. I thought I had the ability to do it, but I didn't have any family in radio or TV. I didn't have the right degree. I didn't have anything you need. Didn't have a buddy here or there. And so I would call up or at that, uh, at that time, I guess, Facebook message, the program director at the ESPN radio affiliate in Columbus, Bobby Roblowski. Uh, understandably, he went by Bobby Z on the radio. <laughs> and he said, yeah, come on. Like he let me come in the radio studio and just observe. I had never seen a show get done before. And so that happened for about two months. And one day his co-host with about five minutes lead time called in and said, I can't make it in. Whatever had happened, he couldn't make it in. So they just threw me on air. I had no, no way to Out be of nowhere. ready for it. Yeah. Uh, but what they didn't know is one of the things I had been doing for about a year and a half is I'd been driving around in my gray Toyota Tundra. And instead of listening to music, I realized that was my practice time. So I'd hit the mute button on the radio and I would just simulate talk radio. That was my practice field. And so when they put me on radio that day, I was halfway ready. Now, I may not know what I was doing, but I was at least prepared to do it. And afterwards, he said, where have you worked before? I told him, I've never worked. I've never done anything. There's never been a live microphone in front of me. And he thought I was lying. Eventually, he realized I wasn't. And they kept me on air for about two years. And uh, one day out of the blue, the general manager of the WLTZ NBC affiliate there in Columbus calls me and says, we want to do a college football show. You don't know me. You've never met me, but I've been listening to you every day when I drive home. I want you to be on it. I want you to host it for me. So I did it. I'd never been in TV before. I ended up being the sports anchor there as well. Was not qualified to be that. I elevated to news anchor after a couple of years, but I wanted to do what I do now. I wanted to own my own product. I wanted to own my own brand. It wasn't time to make demands at that time, but a few years in, 
when it came time for contract renegotiation, I told him, I love doing the show and I love anchoring your news, but man, I want to do, I want to do me. I want to do my own thing. I want to own it. And for obvious reasons, they said, well, we can't be doing that. So it came down to the last day of my contract, actually. And general manager, news director, and me were sitting in the office and they look at me. The general manager looks at me and he says, are you really just going to walk away from here? What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go start a YouTube channel. This is when Facebook streaming and YouTube streaming is when it first kind of became mainstream. And so we came to a compromise and I stayed on there as an independent contractor and I worked 1099 for them. I made $300 a week to anchor their news. It was, I'm working for pennies on the dollar of what I would have made as my salary. They offer me a good salary, but it would not have let me own my IP. And so I agreed to independent contract. And it sounded like it was a terrible financial decision for me. But the kicker was they agreed to give me that studio three nights per week to do with whatever I wanted. I could bring my own crew in. I could produce anything I wanted to out of there. So I launched a YouTube channel. We called it Late Kick with Josh Pape. That was about three years ago. And we grew that thing in the span of a year to where I was making more off that channel than I would have salary-wise anyway. And a guy that you may have heard of by the name of Shannon Terry calls me one day <laughs> and says, I don't even know what I want you to do here specifically. I just know that I want you doing it with us. You need to be doing it with us. And so I came to Nashville in June, January of 2020 and have done the show here ever since. And that brings us up to present day. Man, what a story. Literally started from having no experience to where you are today. And kind of it kind of brings me to my next point. You are probably the most young and refreshing voice um, in college football. And I appreciate it so much because being a current student athlete, listening to your takes and and you know, knowing what I've seen on Twitter and what I've listened to for so many years, I want you to talk about what kind of the issue is on the traditional media takes on our sport to this day. And you've talked about it in the past couple of weeks on your shows, whether it's most recently the, the Heisman voting and the, the fiasco you see with that to where a year and a half ago, we had people that make their living on covering college football that were rooting for it not to even happen. Where's the media gone in the sense of covering a sport that's that's the size as it is today, the billion dollar brand that it is, and why that's kind of gone to the wayside. And, and there's so many media members out there that have just taken their own route, created their own brand and, and try to own that and forget about the sport as a whole that got them to where they were today. Well, there's not a lot of service. There is not a lot of giving. There's not a lot of serving within the role that they are, they are filling, uh, mm -hmm. which is the antithesis of the way that I think you should approach it. But that's also it, it parallels the way I was raised. Like, I mean, I've got a dad and mom back home right now that would tell me, I don't care what you're doing professionally, find a way to serve as you're doing it. And when you live your life, find a way to have a service based mindset. So I don't think any differently about what I do right now. Maybe I'm in the minority there. I will say this. There are a lot of really, really good professionals in our industry. Sometimes they get overshadowed, but there are a lot of really good ones. Um, I think last year really put a bright white spotlight on what some of us had observed for a while. Hmm. And that was a fundamental issue that I think exists in sports media in general. Uh, but we'll talk about college football media. The biggest mistake perceptionally that a lot of people make is they believe that everyone who covers college football loves college football. And they do not. They think everyone who covers sports, they're passionate about sports. They're not. 
I was fooled by this. When I first got into this business, the first press box I was ever in, the first interactions I ever had with people I had grown up knowing the names of and reading and listening to and watching, some of them fulfilled every ounce of hype that I had built up about them in my own mind. But many more of them disappointed me greatly when I met them in person, because what I realized is there's this glazed over look in their eye. You're at a college football game, man. Like I've, I've put my allowances together for months and months of my life to be able to afford to go to them. You get to go to it for a living. And it just never occurred to me that someone wouldn't be freaked out of their mind like I was, like I still am today by getting to do that. But they weren't. And what I learned over time was a lot of folks came out of journalism school or, or however they you know, went preparatorily and they got into this business and they kind of, you know, they were on that interstate and there are a lot of different off ramps they want to take. Maybe they wanted to get into uh, news based. Maybe they wanted to get the political route. But for whatever reason, the only ramp that was open to them was sports. And so they just settled into a job covering sports, probably initially to buy time until they could get into the arena they really wanted to be in. And they kind of just settled into that career. And that's hard to believe for someone like me. When I came into the business, I thought those jobs must be so in demand. There's no way someone's holding that job that doesn't want it, that doesn't love it. But I was wrong. And there are a lot of people in our industry who fit that description. I just think last year when we were kind of going back and forth about whether we were or were not going to have a season, a lot of them exposed themselves. And I think that as terrible as you know the overall COVID overall has been societally, if you were to zoom it right into just our industry, there was a benefit. And for people like me, and I was trying to build a brand at 24-7 at the time, it was opportune because it showed the difference to people. They're not stupid, man. If you show them who you are, they're going to see it and they're going to believe you. And so a lot of folks showed themselves for who they really are and the audience saw it. And so they started looking for alternative means with which to get their college football content. Mm. And that is exactly how we built Lake Kick. We built it to be a reservoir where you get away from all that garbage that you're looking to avoid and you get into sports to avoid anyway. Uh, but I think last year went a long way in sort of separating in our industry a lot the same way, unfortunately, that media has already been separated elsewhere. You know, you just said it. The, the way I found out about you and got so hooked on your content was last year when I was simply just looking for a voice of reason of someone that was just continuing on with their passion, talking about football, talking about recruiting, talking about all the things that they had been doing for years and were passionate about and what had gotten their audience and, and gotten them to the platform they were on. And you were one of the few voices out there just doing what you were doing, not doing anything special, not trying to be something else, not trying to push an agenda. And, and I applaud you for that because you know, if it wasn't for more people like you and some others, we would have been overtaken by the folks that, you know, were trying to push an agenda to not have college football played last year and have all of us college athletes not that out there on the field and, and bringing some normalcy to a year that was filled with craziness. So thank you for that. I, 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 I truly do thank you for bringing that up because I think it's so important and, and brings us again to another point of uh, all everyone says that this new NIL era is, is the downfall of college sports and, you know, all these external factors of money and big time boosters and pay for play and recruiting is going to totally do away with the amateur side of what makes college football so special and why you and I both love it so much. 
Can you talk about your viewpoint of NIL, of, of how you see it affecting college football now and how you see it affecting college football here in the next decade? Well, over the next decade, I think the answer may be a little bit different than how it's affecting it now. Because right now, I think we're in a calibration period, just the, oh, the overall sports in a calibration period. And we're trying to get sort of a grasp and a grip on what NIL is. And there are a lot of different opinions out there, but basically it's like jumping in a pool. You jump in a pool, that initial shock of the cold water gets you. But then five minutes later, you can jump in, jump out, jump in, jump out. It doesn't get you anymore. That's what NIL will be over time. We will calibrate. We will learn the proper value of this player, the proper value of that player. The system, if it's allowed to, with some reasonable checks and balances, will calibrate itself. Here's the way that I ask people. I ask them, for the crowd that thinks it's destroying the fabric and integrity of the game, how do you know it's destroying anything? And they'll give me their answer. And you've heard the answer. I don't have to rehash it. It's some version of the same thing. So I'll ask them, what do you love about college football? And they'll tell me, well, I love, you know, the environments on Saturday, or I love the passion. I love the pageantry. And so I tell them, if I were to lock you away and I don't let you do anything other than go to the stadium on Saturday or turn on the TV on Saturday, have you noticed one bit of difference about the product on the field on Saturday? And they have to say no, because the product on the field, it, to me, it looked the exact same this year as it did in 2017 or 2018. So like, what's really being destroyed? What's being destroyed is, and this is my personal opinion, someone who has a job that has to write about this sport in June and they need to turn in 750 words and they don't have any better ideas and they can't create something of their own. So they go to the old standby of, NIL is destroying college athletics. And that stuff just kind of permeates. I'm not saying there may not be, there may not be some hurdles with this. Certainly there could be, there could be hurdles with the way you implement a targeting rule in the sport. So yes, there are a lot of things you have to be careful with, but to suggest it's ruining the sport would suggest to me that I should see that manifesting itself on Saturday. I don't see that. I think we just had one of the best seasons we've ever had. Oh, far and away. And, and seeing the, seeing it play out while being in a locker room and, and being a leader in the industry now to where you see how it's playing out on, on all teams and you see the deals, you see the average transactions, Josh, this is helping local businesses in these local economies more so in cases than it is the athlete, the amount of, there's a, there's a cookie shop here in Knoxville that a guy on our team did a deal with who had their revenue week after week up 300% because of, people coming into the store after games. Social media numbers went up 8,000% after a TV special went on about the cookie deal. Like you're impacting a lot more people than these athletes. And everyone's talking about tearing down the locker room. It's going to destroy relationships. Sure. Some guys might get pissed off that one guy's making X amount of dollars and other guys making Z, but it's really just expediting what people are going to learn when they get out of school in the next four or five years. Is it not? All right. So let me ask you this, because you're in there. This needs to be talked about more. So it was my opinion early on in this whole thing, having been in a locker room myself. Money, when it is inserted into the equation, you know, there's, there's a saying in our society, money doesn't build character, it just reveals it. Well, in the NIL world, how many good teammates that you have turned into bad teammates because of money? Because I don't think you saw a single one. Now, if you already had a questionable guy, then that's the kind of guy that gets jealous and gets over in the corner and starts trying to curry favor with some folks. And you got division and fraction in your locker room. 
But the point is that was already there. Like that bad seed was already there. It, it was there. And this era honestly exposed it even more to go ahead and weed themselves out. The amount of positive positivity that this era has brought for guys wanting to go out and, and get out and do something in the community, go out and, and meet fans or say, Hey, I'm going to give 20% of my earnings back to a local nonprofit. Heck, we did a walk-on night here to where every walk-on on the team got to go to walk-ons, the sports bar, and they sponsored a whole night. You had walk-ons from the Philip Fulmer days, the Johnny Major days coming and donating to these walk-ons to get a signed football. Like these guys hadn't gotten any PR, media attention, any type of NIL deal since July. You put on a night with them and there's there's lines going out the door for them getting to experience fans in a different way that they've never been able to see. And it, it's just another example of the craziness that people were talking about how this is going to be the downfall of college sports. It's going to be a player's union, all this. Now, will it look different in 10 years? Undoubtedly, it looks way different now than it did four months ago. Mm-hmm. But but for people to say that this is the downfall of this sport, just how about you turn on 12 weeks of college football this year and watch? And, and you said it. You won't be able to see. I challenge people to go out and, and find one thing that they've seen on television or sitting in a stadium that makes them think that this is ruining college sports. Because I guarantee you, you won't find one. Yeah. I don't think there was any locker room this year that got fractured by NIL that wouldn't have fractured itself anyway. I don't think that NIL caused any problems. It may have expedited problems that already would have been there. Uh, But again, what we just did can't fit in a tweet. And what we just did can't fit in a headline. There's a little bit of nuance. You got a little bit granular on that. And so that already got the hands too dirty of a lot of these folks. How do you feel long-term? You know, I saw they were out there today for the SPJ conference out in Vegas. How how do you see long-term Congress, NCAA playing a role into this. You and I can probably both agree that the NCAA is on the, the verge of extinction anyway. Do you see them coming in and wanting to regulate this or, or pushing Congress heavy to put a bunch of red tape in place? I'm a, I'm a not, no red tape limit regulation guy anyway, but what's your input on, on where this should go that it doesn't turn into the top two teams in every conference pulling all their donor money together and going out and just getting the next five-star guy. Yeah. Which we've seen in the last couple of weeks, right? Well, what you can do initially to stem that is obviously roster limitation. I mean, you can only get 25 or so per cycle. Uh, So, you know, that technically heads you off at the pass a little bit. Yes, you could still load classes up. Uh, As for the red tape, my fear has been and always would be that the people, and I use that plural very intentionally, the people who are making decisions in this sport drag their feet so much that you give the congressional side the ability to say, you need us involved in this. We got to come in and clean it up. Now, in reality, that's never the way it happens, but here's the downside. The downside is once you get a little bit of red tape inserted into the equation, that never goes in. It all starts coming. Yeah, Yeah. it only goes forward. It only... uh, progresses. It, it never goes backwards. And so what has to happen, and I, this is something that is like trying to nail jello to the wall. This is still very, very hazy. However, we decide the structure of this sport over the next five or six or seven years, you have to have a governing body or a commissioner, whatever the case may be, that is forward thinking enough to keep the sport ahead of you know, kind of, kind of that wave of potential congressional red tape that's always 
not too far in the distance, but keep it behind you. Stay ahead of the curve. Because right now we're not ahead of the curve. Right now, the same stuff that got Congress involved in this sport recently, you could have seen coming decades ago. And yet we we still were not able to get ahead of it because you really don't have a sport with leaders who have incentive to be on the same page. Well, now hopefully they do have that incentive. Josh Pate went on a renaissance tour this past season. He was in a different college town every week of the season. Josh, I want to give you just a second to talk about that tour, how fun it was to be in a, in a different town every week, seeing all different aspects of college football. Just following along on your, on your socials, you were at some pretty dang good games all year. Well, share with me your favorite story of that tour, what game it was, where it was at, and, and what kind of made it. I have no idea what my favorite story is. I have in my iPhone an entire file because I knew that I would want to know the answer to this question, much less anyone else. And um, I mean, it's just full of just everything I experienced from every week. Like uh, week one, we were in Charlotte for Georgia versus Clemson. We thought at the time, hey, we may have a rematch of that game down the road. Turns out you don't know how things are going to turn out in week one. So week two, you know, I'm an Iowa State guy. I've always loved Iowa State. So I'm yeah. looking at Iowa versus Iowa State. I'm thinking, oh, cool, we're going to get to go up there. It's late summer. We'll get a little relief, get a little cool down. And it was 96 degrees at kickoff. And uh, so we got to go there, white out for Auburn at Penn State. These are all first timers for me. I've never been to a majority of these places. I grew up in the South. That That is my, that's a bucket list item for me as a whiteout game. Oh, it should State. be. It should be. It's insane. It's it's incredible. Uh, went to a couple Alabama games. Um, got you got to tell me, how was Knoxville? Well, so that's what I was getting to. So I got to see the Ole Miss at Tennessee game. As you may remember, that one got a little bit hairy, got a little bit crooked there at the end. And um, it was a situation where I've been in a stadium before where things get a little out of control. People start throwing stuff on the field. The secret is to turn your back to the field. You have to turn your face to the crowd. Otherwise, oh. you, you, get, you get pelted, you get taken out. And so I remember I was doing the crab walk. Like if you walk sideways on the sideline, normally you're just walking forward. Well, you had to walk sideways because you had to keep your face to the crowd. That was really surreal, though. Like if yeah. Tennessee comes back and if Tennessee actually were to have won that game, there, there's a throw on the last drives right in front of me. I mean, it's like an inch above the receiver's hand. I, I don't know what would have happened because they would have stormed the field because I'm listening right. to the cops say we got to let them on. We got to let them on. It's going to be yeah. uglier if we try and stop them. And Kiffin and his team would not have been off the field yet. I don't know no. what would have happened, but if you know, if, I, I wish we were sitting on the sideline and I, I wanted to go up to our coach and be like, can you like radio up to the press box or can someone and just say, Tennessee can still win this game. Yes, I, I mean, we had all of our timeouts left. Their ball was on like their 25 yeah. and everyone thought the game was over. And like we, in turn, we went and stopped them, punted it, got a return to our side of the field and had a chance to win the game. So you, you really did all that for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that was my observation. Yeah. Uh, but it's I'll tell great. you, I'll tell you the thing that was probably the most awesome. You could say this is recency bias. I grew up in the South. I have grown up around the Iron Bowl, Georgia, Florida, mm. et cetera. I had never been able to witness Ohio State, Michigan. And so we were up there. I was at Michigan, Michigan State when the Spartans came back and won and then go back up there for the Michigan, Ohio State game. And it's, it's snowing sideways and Michigan ends up ending that streak. And I'm there. I was part of multiple field stormings this year. And so yeah. I'm there witnessing that. I mean, that was surreal because because here's the funny part. We were at Baylor when they beat Oklahoma a few weeks earlier. Yeah. And so the, the crowd stormed the field there, but it was a bunch of students. So you're looking at 
18 to 22 year olds running at you. When right. Michigan beat Ohio State and they stormed the field, it was like the student section, but there were also 50 year olds and 60 year olds. Right. right. They were loving it. Yeah. They were I saw a funny, I saw a funny tweet and I was like, wouldn't it be something if they took Michigan, Michigan State, and Auburn, Alabama and flipped the environments and had oh, Auburn, yeah. Alabama playing up in the snow, that Michigan, Michigan State playing in warm weather? Because I mean, yeah. they're always played at that time of year. I mean, that, well, that you, would be incredible. You know, growing up in the South, everyone has always told you, you guys need to come up north. You need to play in Big Ten weather. I always discounted that. Like to me, if I got the better team, we're still going to play in the same conditions. I'll still be better than you. But right. I will say this now, maybe that's still true. That stuff matters. Like the cold weather, when oh, it's truly, yeah. I'm not talking about 45, when it's truly cold and the, when the weather is actually detrimental to your yes. ability to throw a football. Oh man. Yes. I don't know how many points it mattered, but it mattered. Yeah. Everything's thrown out. Then Josh wanted to give you right before we hop into our 10 questions in 60 seconds. What is the ideal NIL deal for Josh Pate? Oh my goodness. Um, so I would love, is it Academy? No, I mean, it's yes. Okay. I got to say Academy. So Academy's <laughs> number one, but here's, here's one that would come out of nowhere. So, Let's just say in a former life, so we can remain legal on this channel. In a former life, I may or may not have participated in hopping freight trains. And so what I would love to do is I would love to like get BNSF or CSX or Norfolk Southern, one of these big freight transportation companies that have rail lines all over the country. And I would love to take like the summer and I would love to be able to ride on freight trains. So, so let's take a summer renaissance tour and let me travel via freight, pure hobo style. I'll sign That'd all the release awesome. forms. Let me travel via, via studio boxcar. And let me, just, let me just live off the grid for the summer, except we're going to have cameras and we're going to have radio equipment. So you'll know where we are at all times. That is my NIL deal. And I guarantee you, there will be no copycats. I was, I was going to say it would be like the best deal for CSX because they would have to fit one person into the budget for that. I mean, it would be, it would be the, the perfect deal for them. So here we go. Our 10 questions in 60 seconds with Josh Pate. You ready, ma'am? I'm ready. I think I'm ready. All right. Question number one, who is your Heisman winner? Bryce Young. Favorite college town? Athens. Mm. Least favorite college town? Uh, a trick question because it's anywhere they play in an NFL stadium. Mm. All right, that's fair. Favorite coach in college football? Nick Saban. Alabama, Cincinnati. Alabama. Michigan, Georgia. Don't know yet. Mm. National championship winner. Don't know yet. Favorite restaurant and where? Oh, man. Come back to that one. Put it on the end. Most entertaining college football player this year? I think it's been Bryce Young. Good call. March Madness or bowl season? March Madness. All right. Favorite restaurant and where? 10 seconds. <laughs> I, I can't name it in 10 seconds. I, I can't. Let me give you. Okay. So I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose the 60 seconds. <laughs> I admit that. There is a place. Uh, where were we? It was the recent trip. So it was, it was in Detroit. And we were staying there before we went to Ohio State, Michigan. And in the Marriott Ballroom Hotel, there's a place called Maryland's Lounge. Now I'm thinking, whatever, that's just a name, but it's called Maryland's Lounge because there is a Marilyn Monroe impersonator. And I'm talking about wow. like legit impersonator who just kind of saunters around the lounge every night until like 2 a.m. 
And so I think, wow, that's really gimmicky, but this is where I'm staying and it's snowing outside. So I'm not going anywhere. I'll just go down here. Like, what's your best burger? So they got like a $20 Kobe burger. I think it's a little pricey, whatever. It's on CBS's dime anyway. Right. It was delicious. It's like one of the best burgers I've ever had in my life. So I'm not going to tell you that Maryland's Diner is like some (laughs) five-star restaurant in the sky, but I am telling you in terms of what I've put in my stomach the last month, that was legitimate. Another unique trait for Josh Bay is favorite restaurant is in a hotel ballroom. Yes. In Detroit, no less. In Detroit. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Well, Josh, man, can't thank you enough for having us on. So much good stuff right here. I, again, I thank you for being, as a student athlete, as someone that's in this business, in this NIL business, as it goes forward, I, I truly do thank you for being a refreshing voice in this sport um, across all these platforms for everyone to see. Um, you're killing it, man. Can't wait to see where you're going. I appreciate it, brother. I wish you the best of luck. Love what you're doing over there, too. Appreciate you having me on. See you, Josh. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Invest in You podcast by On3 Sports. We look forward to our new episode releasing next week. In the meantime, follow along with us on social media at On3NILU on Twitter and Instagram.